Welcome to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a podcast all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. This is the first sermon Jonathan preached at The Table, a new community in Oklahoma City. While The Table will have its own separate weekly podcast, we wanted to feature the first few messages for our loyal listeners here. How is it possible that God might call us to remember and to simultaneously forget? What do you do when you want to stay connected to where you came from, but you feel the Spirit tugging you into something new? These are the tensions we explore in this message on continuity and discontinuity. We hope you enjoy. What we get through the words of the prophet here is for any ancient Jew, this is a familiar riff. This is, for those of you that grew up in the kind of churches that I did, there are certain songs that for us, they were in the Redback Hymnal that have you heard like, you know, immediately people start shouting. Did any of y'all come from shouting churches? Anybody come from shouting churches? I came from a lot of shouting. See, you can tell they came from shouting churches because they're not afraid right now. Have a little talk with Jesus. You know, so certain songs like you just, you know where this thing is going to go the moment that you hear that first note. I have been, and I'm a little bit embarrassed by this, though maybe not as much as I should be. I have been to 27, that's right, 27 U2 gigs in my life. And I'm going to tell you that every single time when you hear that opening synth pad for where the streets have no name, and then the edge slices over it with the lead guitar, the same thing happens every time. Number one, God comes down. The Holy Spirit cracks the sky open. The glory descends. But in that moment, like every time, like, oh, the the elation. It's so, I, I know exactly where this song is going. And for any ancient Israelite, the moment they hear this riff, as soon as they hear the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, they already know this song. We already know we love this. This is the Exodus story. This is the story about how God parted the sea. This is the story about how God delivered us from Pharaoh and raised us up. This is a good story. We like this song. We love this song. And it looks like the prophet is going to give the people what they want and play the greatest hits. Here's the story you all know and love the familiar story that brings us a sense of comfort. So ironically, in these first few verses, when he talks about bringing out the chariot, the horse, the army and warrior, slaying everybody, the whole deal. Ironically, these verses invite us to remember what God did in the past. Y'all remember what God did when he delivered our forefathers up out of Egypt? Remember, oh, we love that story. We love it when great-grandma tells that story. People are shouting. And yet the crazy turn here is that right after the prophet calls us to remember and begins to rehearse and recite the great things that God had done in bringing up our forefathers and mothers out of Egypt back in the day, that then immediately we get to this turn. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. Now that's a mind bender. I'm not trying to sound like Yoda to y'all right now. 
But what the prophet calls us to do here simultaneously is to remember and to forget. Now that's, there's a tension for you. There's a paradox for you. Remember and forget. How do you simultaneously do that? That on the one hand, that the prophet calls us to remember that what God did before and then almost immediately says, also all that I just said, remember, forget about it. God wants to do something new. Tonight for these few minutes that we have, and actually I have no clock, I just realized in this moment, so I don't even know if it'll be a few minutes. The, I'm going to talk to you for just a few minutes about continuity and discontinuity. Continuity and discontinuity. Something that I think, while we're coming at this from different places, will be a pretty relevant word for all of us in one form or another. Continuity and discontinuity. You know, there's, there's something that's actually really important about continuity. Because if, there are, if there's not continuity, if there's not a broader story, if there's not some larger narrative hook that we can attach ourselves to, if there's not a, a bigger story, then we become, and this is, the class, this is the vintage American lie right here, is we think we can be an ahistorical people. That's, that's especially the white American lie, that we think we can be an ahistorical people. We have no context. We have no culture. The world just you know, starts and ends with us. It's a dangerous lie. It's dangerous to be a rootless people who have no sense of history or story because we all have a story and where we come from, our origins, our past, ancestry, tradition, all of that matters. And if there is no tradition, and by the way, the, um, and tradition sometimes is ugly. It's as important to own the negative parts of a tradition sometimes because we start from a place of humility. If we don't own like a larger story, then we don't have any roots. So continuity is really, really important. You know, one of the things that I feel like is frankly so um, jacked up about, man, and it's funny because I thought I had a sermon where I felt like I'm wading in. I just realized like this is going right in the deep end of the pool for some of y'all who have not heard me before. So apologies in advance if you need this. One of the things that's uniquely jacked up about Western white American evangelicalism in particular, if I can say it that way, is that it's a story that not only is ahistorical, that's not connected to a particular Jesus in a particular time in a particular place and a particular people, which is a pretty big problem. But it also has no continuity with the larger arc of that story. Christians have been praying for 2,000 years, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 2,000 years, that's what we prayed for. Let the shalom, the, the peace of God, come to the earth. It's what Isaiah the prophet was talking about when he foretold the day that would come when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth the way the water would cover the sea. Romans 8 talks about how the creation itself is groaning and longing and sighing for the restoration that's coming. It, it's a beautiful story because it's a story that's connected to Jesus. Um, the, the one who gave us the Sermon on the Mount and told us to turn the other cheek and to bless our enemies. The one, the, the full revelation of God, Paul's language, the image of the invisible God, or in Hebrews, the exact representation of who God is, is the one who's on the cross saying to his enemies, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And so 
the broader story for Christians is the hope of the church is that ultimately that Jesus will come back and set things to right. It's something that creation itself is longing for and sighing and groaning for. But because we misread the book of Revelation and we took one verse from Thessalonians wildly out of context, a verse where Paul borrows an image from the Romans about, it talks about a catching away. And the image is about how when, um, because Paul's always trying to subvert the Roman empire, you know, like he's, because in a time when, you know, the, the declaration of the Roman empire is Caesar is Lord, Paul constantly wants to remind us that Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is. And so the image is, you know, when, a, when Caesar would come back from conquering somebody in battle, then everybody would go to meet Caesar at the gates of the city and they would usher him back in for a processional. And so everybody comes back in. Paul uses this imagery in Thessalonians to talk about how Jesus will return. We misread this and turn thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven into beam me up Scotty. God wants to extract Christians up out of anything hard. And all of a sudden you land an entirely different story. And because all these images get misread, now the Jesus who appeared in the first century has no continuity with the Jesus who will come again. He's going to be like dirty Harry and he's just going to be really mad. He's not, it's not going to be like the angel said, this same Jesus who you saw ascend. It's not that same Jesus. So now you get into a different story. People ask me from time to time, why don't you get into some of that like rapture business? I see, I would probably if I weren't a Christian. That's the, ah, I really shouldn't have said that on the first night. I'm sorry, team. I will repent later on. Thank you for that, pastor. Really, it's just to me, because if you, if you get the end of the story wrong, then, then you miss, you mess up everything in the middle, right? So like, I'm, man, I'm, I'm saying a lot of things for the first few minutes of a sermon. <laughs> but the point for our purposes is that continuity does matter. That getting the arc right, getting the trajectory right, that matters. Whether or not what we believe about the kingdom has anything to do with the king who is Jesus, that really, really matters. But I will tell you this too. There is a time and place for discontinuity. Because if there's no discontinuity, then there's no room for surprise. And that's part of what I think Isaiah is doing here that, that's so brilliant. Is that they always want to sing songs about the Exodus, about what God did way back when. What Isaiah wants to remind us is that the God of the Exodus is still on the move. You can't put that God into the past, into a box way back when the moment that any religion is dead and you descend into fundamentalism is the moment that the good old days are in the past. Because once again, Christians are the people of that kingdom come that God's coming future reign. We want to break into the present. It's a future oriented religion. We're not looking back over our shoulder, trying to get back to any good old days. How many of y'all know, by the way, that the good old days weren't actually good old days. That's, that's helpful, right? Good old days for whom, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, we're good old days were for some. We're definitely not good old days for others. Uh, it still blows my mind people think that way. I wish we get back to the good old days. What, like when Donna Reed was on television and nobody was cursing on, on primetime? Oh, and, uh, and Jim Crow laws. What, what, what good old days do you mean, right? I mean, come on. Help me preach here, somebody. Like there's, we're not looking to any sort of good old days. There, there's a good kind of discontinuity because 
following Jesus ultimately is always, it's a it's future-oriented business. And there's still got to be room for surprise. There's still got to be room for detours. There's still got to be room for God to, to do things and in us and for us that catch us off guard, or it's, or we're no longer following the God of the Exodus. If we're not surprised anymore, if we're never astonished, if we're never thrown off in some way, um, let me put it to you like this, because we're new to each other, a lot of us. So I really am a product of old time religion, sweat and sawdust. My grandfather's a pioneering uh, Pentecostal preacher, died when I was three. My father's a preacher. He's watching right now, presumably. Love him. Love my roots. Love where I come from. And I come from, I, I always self-refer as a hillbilly Pentecostal. And I, and I love it. Like, I love all that stuff. And just for fun, and I do say this in fun, but I really revere where I, where I come from. But I do have some pretty wild stories. We were talking about some of this before service tonight about, you know, uh, my camp meeting stories. My, I grew up largely on the old Church of God state campground in Western North Carolina. My grandmother had a little house there, and man, that's where I, it was on that property that I went to youth camp. I had my first kiss, my first experience of the Holy Ghost. I'm not even sure if I got the order right just then, but all, it all happened there. Like that was the center of the universe, anything that happened that mattered in my life. And, and those camp meeting services in particular, they were everything to me. Like all these really colorful people and colorful experiences. I love to tell now about how like some of the traveling preachers who would come through because y'all some of y'all are not aware of this kind of wildness. We had, we had traveling evangelists. I thought of them not unlike professional wrestlers because each of them would have like a different finishing maneuver. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, like in the WWE, you'd have a, like, like Ric Flair would have the, the figure four, but then brother Floyd Lahan would throw his Bible out to the crowd and people would catch the Bible. He would say, receive the glory and they would fall out. Like I thought of that as like his finishing maneuver. And, and, and the thing about it was like, I loved being in those services and in that environment. And this is going somewhere, but oftentimes as much as I believed in it, I felt like a little bit of an outsider too. Like everybody in the room was grabbing onto an electricity that I wanted, but didn't quite get in touch with the same way. Cause see, in those days, everybody would be falling out. And I was always the one guy who never fell out. And I just knew something was wrong with me. You know, it's like, it looked like a Civil War battlefield, like bodies are just stacked all over the room. And I'm the one guy who does go around like, what is wrong with me? What sin is in my life? I'm eight years old. What sin is in my life that's keeping me from this experience, you know? But I, but I believed in all the things and, and, you know, and, 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 and believe in all the things. So it's like I grew up in this context and... Then as I, and as I like to say it, because my grandmother was this amazing woman of God who was so tender and so gentle, and there was a, there was a holiness to her that was otherworldly in a way and yet very present in this world. And she would make tang and cornbread for me every day in the summer, and we'd watch The Price is Right, and she would tell me about Jesus. And I always think of it this way still now. My grandmother's Jesus is the only Jesus that I do know or would want to know. Like that's the, like that's very deep in me. But I feel like then as I've grown, my journey has taken me on, on so many detours. There've been so many surprises. I, I was thinking back even earlier today, how even kind of coming up within this very particular tradition that I, early on, I guess really in my very early twenties, I started connecting to a, 
a different form of Pentecostalism that was concerned about justice and concerned about the poor and the marginalized and just all the places that that has taken me uh, to become a student of the civil rights movement. Uh, first, of course, like everybody starts, I guess, with Dr. King, but then on to people like the Reverend Jim Lawson and Marion Wright Edelman and these kind of Otis Moss II and these people who I've kind of set in their feet under the years. And so that, that put me on a certain kind of journey and still has me on a certain kind of journey that started to take, you know, sort of a, a different shape and different form. Same Jesus, to be sure, definitely the God of the Exodus, but it's not quite the world I grew up in, in rural Pentecostalism in North Carolina, not quite the world I grew up in. But, I, but somewhere deep down, me recognizing that was the same God. I, I, I'm, I'm, I do think some of the people from where I come from are not necessarily convinced that I've been following the same God the whole time. I'm not going to the whole thing. I had a little dust up a couple of years ago with Jerry Falwell Jr. at Liberty, and it was, it was the whole thing. I don't even feel like going to the whole thing, but it was kind of wild. My friends, uh, Abner and Amanda, and a band named Johnny Swim, and they were going to be playing at Liberty. I had said some things on Twitter because I was, un, I was unhappy that Jerry Falwell Jr. was talking positively about Steve Bannon, who's an open white supremacist. Another story for another day. Uh, I'm tweeting about this. This all leads to me being banned from campus for life. It's a fun little story. And I just remember when all that happened and like feeling like I know from just all kinds of shade from where I come from, but having the sense that like, I know God is leading me here. I know this is the same Holy Spirit. I know, I, I, I know that presence. I know that voice. One of the things that I think is strangest for those of us who would aspire to be people of the Spirit is that sometimes the people who teach you how to listen to the Holy Spirit, then you learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit and then you end up going places that they can't go well, that's a bad feeling. <laughs> they feel offended in the present when you're like, I'm doing exactly what you, y'all taught me how to listen to the Holy Spirit. What else am I going to do? <laughs> you know. But sometimes that takes you to places that aren't expected. Man, I feel like I'm taking a long time. Thank you for bearing with me. But I would tell you, and I'm, um, just give me a, a few more minutes here, a, a very particular story. Because, you know, some of those, some of those things for me, it just kind of felt like my, my big tent religion, the tent just got a little bit wider. But this one was a little more, uh, felt a little more disastrous at the time and wonderful at the same time, too. So I was in the season of my life. Wow, this has been, I guess, I think this story would be six years now. I was unraveling and my marriage was unraveling. I was at the darkest place I'd ever been. And at that point, yes, I'd been on the journey in terms of Jesus and justice and all these things. And I thought on a, kind of on a good path in that way. There was so much in my heart that was unresolved and unsettled. I remember one night in particular, I was getting ready to preach. I'd already taken a sabbatical trying to kind of get things together in my own head and heart. And it wasn't. And I, I, I felt like I was headed towards a nervous breakdown. I remember when I couldn't sleep. So I picked up a novel John Irving wrote called In One Person. I had read, I had started reading it like months before and it got a little intense for me at the time. And I just, I kind of put it away and I somehow felt like I needed to read that novel that night. I didn't even know when I got the book, what the story was about. Basically it's about a man who grows up in, um, 
kind of the Northeast, but ultimately it's all about the AIDS epidemic in New York among gay men, the eighties. And it's just a heart wrenching story and a powerful one. And I remember this night I'm getting ready to preach. And the next morning, the lectionary text was John nine, which is a passage that's all about seeing Jesus heals a blind man and everything in John. This gospel in particular works on an allegorical level. So there's all this stuff about who sees and who doesn't. And I, I couldn't sleep and I'm just reading this novel and it is just tearing me to pieces. And I'm sobbing in bed. And I remember as clear as the Holy Spirit's ever spoken to me, God was, is always gentle, but I really felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me like, you know, not, it was bad that I was crying, but like the reason you're crying over this novel is that your life has become so safe and insulated the only, ra- the only way you'd be in contact with stories like these anymore is if you read them in fiction. <laughs> like that was, a, that was an encouraging word. But I, I could feel the truth of that because this was the tail end of that. I really felt like the Lord said, it's because if you got close enough to these stories, and these are the words Jesus spoke to Peter. I'm going to go to that passage right now. They would lead you places you would not choose to go. I knew that was the Lord. <laughs> These stories would lead you places where you would not choose to go. So I get up the next morning after not sleeping with my heart busted open, and I just preached everything that was in it. Just put it all out on the table. And, um, and you know, it was what it was. I think people heard it. It was a few months after that that um, I resigned. Nobody was forcing me out. I think we kind of realized at that point that um, my then marriage was kind of duct taped together by ministry. We felt like we had to we just we just had to check out and i had to check out and it was again everything was just completely falling apart so but i'm telling you all that to tell you this it's like 4 months after i preached that sermon and now i've left that ministry position and trying to figure out who exactly i am apart from any of these things that have propped me up my whole life because i've been more or less in ministry since i was 21 I've been doing this for 20 years. It's hard to believe, 20 years. So uh, a couple months later, I was fulfilling a prior commitment, speaking at a Christian music festival, three and a half hours away from Charlotte, North Carolina, where I lived. And I get to the music festival. This part maybe is worth saying too. On the way in, I'd been talking with a friend who was back in Charlotte, who was part of our the, the church where I had just recently resigned as I'm trying to figure out who and what I am. And uh, my friend was telling me the story about how she, the week prior, had gone to a yoga studio where she did like this deep breathing class. And I'm not a particularly judgmental person, but you know, I don't know about yoga studios and breathing. I mean, I'm, come on, you know, Pentecostal pastor. But she told me the story and like, it was very beautiful. Like she really felt like she had an explicit encounter with Jesus there. Well, it wasn't any kind of like a Christian deal. It was a really wonderful story that had to do with God kind of healing grief over an infant son who, of hers who, who died like 10 years before. It was a powerful story. She had just shared this story with me right before I left on this trip. So I get to the, I get to the property, the camp where this is, and I've, I've been there for 10 minutes when a guy calls out my name and we start up a conversation. He was, he was so excited to meet me. He said, hey, Jonathan, like, um, I just heard one of your sermons for the first time. My best friend from Portland has been listening to your sermons for years, tried to get me to listen, and I'd never do it because I'm just not interested in listening to sermons. But I heard this one sermon you preached, 
And it was from a few months ago where you talked about this John Irving novel. He heard that one sermon. And as it turns out, his name is James. He's gay. He used to work for the 700 Club, both uh, in front of and behind the camera until he came out. As you might imagine, after that, he was no longer working at the 700 Club, as that goes. And he's telling me this story. And he says, like, man, I love that sermon, what he thought about what it meant to him and how he shared it with various friends of his and kind of the LGBT community in Charlotte. It was such a moving story. And um, we're just kind of sharing each other's stories. It was, it was really, really wonderful. And towards the tail end of that conversation, keep in mind, I'm three and a half hours away from my hometown where I lived. And uh, he, he mentions just kind of casually, yeah, by the way, you know, whenever you're back in Charlotte, you know, I also lead this, this breathing class on Monday nights. And I just, felt, I, I just felt shivers run all over me. I was like, are you talking about the thing over at the Okra studio on Monday nights? I don't know. Did you just meet my friend? And I start, it was the same guy. There were like 10 people in that room when this happened. He's the guy who led it. Now, I'm enough of a Pentecostal there again. Like, if that's not God, I don't know what is. I just don't know what is. So, you know, I'm, we're sharing. I'm crying again. I was doing a lot of crying in those days. He gives me a copy of his book, Gay Conversations with God. I devoured it hungrily in one night. And a couple weeks later, because, man, I was, you know, in the place that I was in, I was open to how God would move in any way. You better believe I went to that yoga studio. Because, like, I was just, I needed God to meet with me somehow. But I'll admit, and not, now I'm a little bit embarrassed to say this, as open-minded as I thought I was, I will admit, I had this moment when I was laying on that yoga mat with an eye mask on. Pentecostal pastor, five minutes ago, thinking, oh, man, this is the bottom of the slippery slope. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is what all of our parents warned us about. This is it. I will admit to being a little bit scared, especially when I heard the little drum playing in the background. I'm like, I hope something's not, I hope it is all right for me to be here. And I tell you what's wild, and this is where this, I promise the story is actually coming full circle and I will be done. So as I'm lying there, <laughs> get towards the end of the time, and I had the most powerful experience of the love of God I've ever had in all of my life. And the strangest. Because it's like at that point, I was so low and there was so much shame and condemnation. And I, I felt like I didn't even know how to pray because I didn't know how to talk to God in that moment. But my parents had a new dog at that point. I, I, this is just getting weirder and weirder. And sorry, again, first timers, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> welcome to the table. Um, I'm there. And as I'm in this moment, I, I, it's like I could see the face of my parents' dog. who's always so happy to see me. And it was as if the love of God was personified in the face of that dog. Here I am still trying to apologize. And there's that face that just says, don't you want to just come out and play? And I just felt everything in me melt. And I start weeping, just weeping. And, what's, and here's, here's the part that's so wild for me. The experience I desperately longed for in the Pentecostal camp meeting, I had flat on my back in the yoga studio. That's hilarious, y'all. But I knew that I knew down in my bones and in my belly that it was the same presence. I knew it was the same God. I knew I hadn't slipped off. I knew that that was Jesus. 
The other real fun part of this story, I'm not always this mystical, I promise. I don't have experiences like this all the time. I really only had a few. But I think maybe because I was so broken open, God just knew I needed him at that time. While all that's going on and I'm weeping and the love of God is being manifested through the face of a dog. And some of you are thinking, oh my God, and want to go running right now. God bless you. Great way to lead off in Oklahoma, I think. (laughs) The other thing that happened is that I heard this inner voice that I so recognized the Holy Spirit that said, and it was about something particular I was dealing with in that moment, that said, it's time to let it go. And when I, the same moment I heard that in here, James bent down. There were like 10 of us in the room, my new friend, and he whispered in my ear, it's time to let it go, my brother. And he started praying for me in tongues. Continuity and discontinuity. And somehow that feels like so relevant to the moment that we're in. In this in-between time where so many of us, I think, are trying to connect with a broader story and a deeper tradition, and that's good and right. And yet in a season where I do believe that God by His Spirit is doing some things that are new. I did not mean to preach this long. That, that'll be the biggest thing this week. I, prom- I will edit the sermon. But I will leave you with this. Back to the text. When the prophet reminds us of all the things that God did that were so glorious back in the day and then tells us, forget about that. I want to do something new. Here's the thing I think is so significant. Back in the day, the miracle was the people of God needed the Red Sea to be parted. Now, they don't need the Red Sea to be parted. They're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. The old miracle would not do you any good in the desert. Parting the sea would not help you in the desert. So there needs to be a new miracle. It's a new moment. In a way, it feels like discontinuity because God is, in fact, saying, Forget what you thought you knew. I'm doing something else. But here's where the continuity is. It is very much the same God. It is very much still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is very much still the God that has been fully revealed to us in Christ. It is very much part of the same story, even if the expression of it doesn't feel exact. Is this making any sense to anybody at all? It's the same. That's the continuity. Here's what God's saying. I want you to forget about how I delivered you, but remember that I am the deliverer. Forget about how I did it before, but remember that I am the one who does deliver. And it may not look the same. It may not feel exactly the same, but here we are in the midst, I believe, of a moment where God is wanting to do something so new and so fresh. Stand with us, if you would. I don't know where this word is landing or where it needs to land, except to say it one more time. The same God, God of the Exodus. Thank you for listening today. More from Jonathan Martin. Go to jonathanmartinwords.com and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to support this podcast and help us keep going, go to patreon.com slash sonofapreacherman and we appreciate your support.
Remember, no matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will help you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. God bless.